We are in our fifth message of the No Not Never series, and so we're going to go ahead and pray and then get right to it. Heavenly Father, as we open our eyes and ears and heart to the Word, I pray that you would open our hearts to be open and to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the largest growing websites in America is called... Amazon, no, TikTok, probably. Uh, what do you think? One more guess is here. One of the fastest growing ones. It's really fascinating to me how fast this is growing because you will never catch me packing up a blob of my spit, sending it off just to find out where I came from with people in a culture that I have obviously no connection to, and let's face it, they are responsible for this five-foot-six frame in front of you. So I'm a little bitter about that. <laughs> but the number, one of the fastest-growing websites is Ancestry.com. And uh, growing up, people always used to kind of ask me, you know, where, where does your family come from? And the answer from my parents kind of went something like this. Well, we think, <laughs> whenever they start off with we think, you know, it's always going to be, you know, we think that we're Irish, German, British, Italian, Sicilian, Polish, French, Russian, Cherokee, and Hungarian. And so I'd always kind of, as a joke, I would say, you forgot Canadian, you know, one time I said that, my dad goes, oh, yeah, we're that too. <laughs> so, and then Ancestry.com happened. Do we have that slide? Uh, Ancestry.com happened, and all of a sudden we found out, you know, somewhat scientifically, that we actually are Irish, British, German, Polish, and Sicilian, no Italian, but Sicilian. A small percentage of African was in a mix, and then a small percentage called unknown. <laughs> Does that give you confidence in your ancestral history? Unknown, you know? Science can't even tell you what you are. It's the unknown that really scares me. And all of this information can be gleaned from one drop of your spit. Isn't that amazing? Your spit carries the genetic code for thousands of years right there in your spit. Kind of a neat thing. But I've been asking myself lately, why are these websites so popular? All right? I'm a big conspiracy theorist. I would never send DNA anywhere so that the government can take a record of it. You know, never going to happen. You know, my parents want me to do it so bad because they want to compare theirs with mine. And I'm thinking to myself, Mom, Dad, you do know how this works, right? You know, <laughs> whatever you are, I am. You know, it's, it's just, the, it's that simple, you know. I had to explain it to them again. They got it. But... <laughs> Why are these websites so popular? I think because somehow it kind of adds or takes away a little bit of the mystery to the ultimate question that every single one of us ask. Who am I? Where did I come from? And how does that come from affect me today? Biologically, 
our chromosomes. In fact, if you go to the next slide here, biologically, our chromosomes and genetic disposition have an influence range of about of 150 years. That means that your ancestor from 1872 still actively affects your chromosomes and your everything today. You ever see a picture where the whole family is short and then you got this one tall son that just springs up, you know, or, or daughter, whatever, you know. You ever see that? Yeah, you know, I haven't seen that either, God. So I'm just, you know, just a... <laughs> no, actually, I think my family is probably going to qualify because now officially all three of my boys are starting to very much get taller than I am. But yeah, going back to 1872, I mean, that's how much, you know, uh, this sort of thing can be influential. Now, the fact is, if you go through your family tree deep enough, there are going to be some things maybe are interesting to find out. We're from here, or we did this, or we did that. There's also going to be some things maybe you don't want to find out. I think if all of us went back far enough, you might find that there were some murderers or thieves, abusers or alcoholics, drug addicts, wife beaters, cheats, swindlers, some really bad people also color our family trees if you go back far enough. Now, while we'll always have to navigate the good and the bad, the pluses and minuses of our family tree, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus offers us another family tree. Jesus offers us an opt-out option and an opt-in to become a part of his family tree. In John chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, you'll see it here on the screen, says this, Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now Nicodemus asked, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This is the passage where we first come across that phrase, born again. Oddly enough, throughout church history, you really don't see this phrase being used very much. Really not at all. You'd be hard-pressed to find it between the time this was written in the late first century till all the way up to the United States of America in the late 1960s where it became a very, very known and common phrase, born-again Christians. As it began to, that phrase began to be really revived in the Jesus movement of the late 1960s, the early 1970s. In fact, it was in the middle of the 1970s that a presidential candidate came out and said, I am a born-again Christian. Anybody know who that candidate was? Jimmy Carter, yeah came out and said it. I am a born-again Christian. And that took that phrase around the world that an American presidential candidate would identify with such an interesting phrase. Now, Jesus was obviously not talking about a second physical birth. That's absurd. 
but he's talking about a spiritual rebirth. Why? Because we are all born spiritually dead. Let me explain to you what that means. We're all born spiritually dead, which means when we are born, we are kind of naturally in our natural person dead to the things of God. Now, we're alive to the things of the five senses, right? What we can see, what we can touch, what we can hear, what we can think about, what we can step on, you know, all of those things, we are very much alive to those. But we are dead to the things of the Spirit and of God. You may say, well, I still understand. When you get born again, you add another sense to your senses. And that is a spiritual sense. And how can I describe it? It's one of those things where when you're born again, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not born again, you have no clue what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about ESP. I'm not talking about clairvoyance. I'm not talking about anything like that. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit is now inside of you. And when you couldn't get God to talk to you before, now you can't get him to stop talking to you. He's talking all the time. We've been talking about the foundation of God's relationship with us which is no, not never, that in Christ you will never have any condemnation, no condemnation, that you are not forsaken, you don't live forsaken by God. Even if you struggle with sin, you don't live forsaken by God when you are part of his family, and he will never abandon you. No, not never. That is the foundation of God's relationship with us. The foundation of God's relationship with us isn't to put up with us. It isn't just to merely tolerate us. It isn't to just, you know, uh, get us. Um, it is to get us to change. But to some degree, we'll never, we'll never be who we're going to be in heaven, this side of earth. God, that's God's plan. God is, not only has accepted that, that's the way it's supposed to be. In fact, at the end of the message today, I'll tell you why. So if God doesn't just merely tolerate us and God isn't just up there trying to fry us, then we're left with no, not never. There's no condemnation. And you do not live forsaken by God. And he'll never abandon you. I've watched, well, I haven't watched that many movies, but I've watched enough movies about God where the portrayal of God is really one of judge. I don't know why our mainstream culture can't get it right. Because if you read the Bible, it is very much, very much God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is a Savior, a Redeemer, a Lover, a Grace Giver. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't stand up for Himself. I'm not saying that at all. He's not the divine pushover either. But His attitude toward us is not let me spank you. It's let me help you. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> In order for God to become our Father, Jesus shows us how. He says you must be born again. Because if something's dead, it's son or daughter to nothing, right? It's dead now. So in order for God to become our Father, we must become spiritually alive. That's what born agains mean. And Jesus says, you must be born again. You must make that decision to follow Christ and make Christ your Savior. And what happens in the process? You get a whole 
new family tree. And you can tell Ancestry.com, thanks but no thanks. I got something even better. Amen? Amen. If you have a Bible today, we're actually going to go to just one verse. We go to the next uh, slide here. And that is Matthew 23, 37. I was going to do the whole thing, but really it's this verse where, how can I say it? When you study these kinds of passages in Bible college, there's passages that Jesus delivers in the form of a teaching, and then there's things that Jesus just says out of the overflow of his heart. He is standing, overlooking all of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this great, wonderful, prophetic city that God has both built and protected for so many years. And inside of it are supposed to inhabit the people of God on earth. And Jesus is overlooking this big city with these wonderful walls. And he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Prophets are those that spoke for God. The city that kills those who spoke for God. And stones, those who sent, stones mean killing with stones who are sent to it. How often would I have liked to have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Here's the interesting thing. God wants to be everybody's father. God wants to gather everybody into his kingdom. God wants to gather everybody into heaven. God wants, there is, there's nobody on earth that God says, well, I want to get, but not you, and kind of flicks them off the side, you know. I would be that person flicked, by the way, if it was that way, you know. But no, he's like, gather, how can I get more and more people? Because he wants to be your father. What this verse is saying is, we have to want God to be our father. We have to want it. We've been going over the last few weeks about how our human fathers may affect that decision. But let's set that aside for a moment as adults. And let's just go right now straight to it. What are some of the biggest obstacles in our lives for us choosing God to be our father? And the first one is this. Number one would be, and this is not on your discussion sheet. This is just for fun. First of all, unaware. There's a lot of people. More and more people I talk to today, they don't know why we celebrate Christmas. They don't know why we celebrate Easter. They have no clue what it's even about. They have, they, they, they've never heard of anything that the earth was created. Didn't it just happen? Didn't the stars just collide and then this just happened? You know, There is a whole world out there that is completely unaware. These are wonderful, normal people who are just trying to make their way in the world and they are completely unaware that they have a Heavenly Father that loves them. We need to do a lot better job in telling the world there's a Heavenly Father that exists and He loves you. You can't really call them unbelievers because nobody has ever explained it to them what they're supposed to believe. And I think this is a greater amount of people than we give credit for. A lot of unbelievers, when you talk to them, they're really more unaware people. Like, yeah, I say I don't believe, but I'm not really even sure what the gospel is. So I'm just kind of saying I'm an atheist. I kind of say I'm this and that. But it's because nobody has sat down and taken the time to explain it to me. 
more often than not, when I sit down and I take the time to explain it to people, they don't go, oh, no, I don't believe in that right away. I'm like, wow, man, I got to think about that. I go through the five points of revelation, nature, the Bible, uh, Jesus, the church, and the Holy Spirit. And I say, hey, these are five ways that God is showing you he is real on the earth. They're kinda, I can see them scratching their head like, oh, man, yeah, all right. I'm kind of getting it now. It's kind of making some sense. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, this is what we are to make people aware of. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, means daddy, daddy father, my, my youngest boy. <laughs> you know how you do a contact, you know, uh, for my youngest son, my, my contact is dad father. <laughs> I love that because that's that verse right here, dad father. You know, uh, The spirit who calls out, I don't think he knew that when he said that. I, I think he couldn't pick one, dad or father. I'll just put dad father. But, you know, verse 7, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you, God made you also an heir. Calling God our father is a free gift if we choose to receive it if we choose to make God our Father, but we must choose it. Never underestimate how many people out there are simply unaware, and they need to hear the stories. No, divine miracles don't happen to me every day, but if you want to sit down one day for lunch, I can tell you about five of them that'll blow your mind away, and you'll just have to trust that I'm not lying, because I'm not. I have nothing to gain from it. About five of them where I'm like, the, these are things that happened that have totally blown away. Some happened in a day. Some happened over the process of 20 years. But just to show you how God has fathered me in life. Amen? And the second group is the unbelief group. Now, these are the people who have been made aware of the offer of Galatians 4, 4 to 7. And so you kind of say, here's the offer. What do you think? A lot of people, nah, I don't think that's for me. That might be for you, but I don't think that's for me. Or, ah, I don't know, you know, we're pretty smart now. It's 22nd century, 21st century. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we've come a long way. I don't think we really need a whole God thing. And it's, you know, I could see where the tribal people believed in something like that. But, I mean, not us. We, we've, we, we've, we've evolved beyond believing in God. So you get, you get this sort of a, you know, nah, you know, and here's what it comes down to. You really either choose to believe it or you don't. Uh, I've given up trying to convince people because for every convincing proof I have, they always have a sort of an unconvincing comeback. So it, it's kind of 50-50. You choose to believe it or not. Joshua 24, 15, he says this. This is after after the Exodus, after God has parted the Red Sea, parted the Jordan River, I mean, he's done some amazing miracles. This is what Joshua says. Hey, Israel, the choice is still yours. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors serve in the region beyond the river, those would be Abraham's moon gods, or the gods of the Amorites in the land whose land you are living, 
those are the Baals, the Asherettes, and all that, which they actually did end up choosing. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What Joshua didn't say, or I wish he would have said, or choose nothing at all. Because I think that's where a lot of people in today's day and age are at. By far the greatest movement we have, next to the unawares, is the unbelief and unbelievers. And I'm going to tell you this right now from the bottom of my heart. I am filled with compassion for unbelievers. Because the more I meet and the more I talk to, condemnation all over their lives. Well, maybe not from the God they don't believe in, but from a parent or a boss or a spouse or a friend. Rejection. Oh, man, we spend so much money and time and worry trying to avoid rejection. And abandonment? I won't even go there. I have so much compassion because what God offers is exactly what so many unbelievers I come across need. Finally, the third obstacle, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And we're going to go there a little bit more, but these are people that are literally stuck in the bitterness of the past. Now, unforgiveness kind of gives us a false sense of control, right? It kind of says this. You did this to me, and while I couldn't control anything while you were doing it to me, I can control how I treat you now, and I'm going to treat you horribly. I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to hurt you. That I can control. I couldn't control what happened to me, but boy, oh boy, I can control what's coming back. And that's why we don't want to forgive. We love that feeling of being in control so that that bad thing that happened won't ever happen again. There's this other approach called drawing boundaries and living in a healthy emotional lifestyle. We won't get to that because that's really hard. Let's just stay in unforgiveness because it's a lot easier to be a fire-breathing dragon toward our enemies than to release it to God. Everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. <laughs> I should get a hallelujah out of that one. So... The fact of the matter is, unforgiveness gives so much, too much power to the past. And it's basically impossible to experience the new birth that God has for us, which looks to a redemptive future while we are imprisoned by the past. Now, don't get me wrong. Forgiveness is not sweeping it under the rug. That's why I, I you know, Sometimes when preachers preach a message like that, I'll get feedback like, Pastor, you can't just sweep everything under the rug and forgive. That's not what I'm saying. Forgiveness is not sweet. God didn't sweep it under the rug. No, sorry. God, God took it to the cross. God didn't, God didn't sweep it under the rug. Neither are we. And yet still, forgiveness can be as painful as the original wrong that was done to us. Because it releases control over the vengeance to God rather than with us. But I can tell you this, the healing is worth the hurt. It's worth the hurt. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. And uh, we'll fill these out very quickly. The first one is this. 
Forgiveness is the foundation of all life transformation. You cannot be born again without it. If you can't give it, forgiveness. You probably won't receive it, forgiveness. Not even from God. You cannot become a child of God without forgiveness. God cannot really become your father without it. I mean, is there maybe some exception? Maybe, but don't try to be that exception. Because it blocks no, not, and never from your life. There was a kid at camp last summer, raised in a Christian family. Thought he was a Christian. I thought he was a Christian. Maybe he was a Christian. But one night during the ministry time, we're praying together. He's crying. He's, he's trying to forgive something that happened to him. And we're walking through these steps of forgiveness. He forgives this person. He goes, I think today is the day I became a Christian. He said, I feel something different in my heart I have never felt before. I said, well, what do you feel? He goes, I don't know. I feel this. And he just started describing the Holy Spirit. I said, you've never felt that before? No. But I just invited Jesus into my heart, and I invited the Holy Spirit, and I forgave this person. I don't know what to tell you about that, but there's something powerful in the sense that that unforgiveness was blocking a relationship with God. As soon as he came into forgiveness, boom, all of a sudden all of this stuff flooded so much. This teenage boy was weeping at the altar. Because I think in that moment, he actually truly did get born again. Number two, forgiveness is not releasing somebody from something. It's releasing them to someone. We get forgiveness wrong a lot. Now, most of the time, you must draw boundaries with people who hurt you. Forgiveness isn't saying, okay, just forget about it and let them keep hurting you over and over and over and over and over and over. No, God does not call you to be anybody's punching bag. That's not forgiveness. Establishing boundaries is just good old-fashioned wisdom. Forgiveness is releasing that person to God's justice, to God's court, to God's vengeance, and taking away the power that that person has over you and releasing it to God. One time, uh, many years ago, uh, me and Mark, were, we used to meet late up at Starbucks once a week and confess our sins to one another. And we were just talking, and we were talking about people who hurt us in the past. And, you know, he was like, who are some people that hurt you? And we were kind of sharing. And then he, he did something, like, psychotherapeutic to me, and I want to slap him for it. Because he's like, so if they walked through that door right now, would you run up and give them a big hug? Or would you want to slap them silly? He goes, now answering me honestly. Because <laughs> you're a pastor. Man, if you lie, we're all in trouble. <laughs> and in that moment, I said, I don't know. I don't know. And he was kind of like, well, then isn't that unforgiveness? And what did I say? I don't know. I don't know. For about five minutes, I think I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know <laughs> I just didn't want to go there because I realized what God was saying through Mark. 
where, where he was leading me to show me there were a handful of people. I could tell you I forgave them. It's easy to forgive people who live two states away and you're never going to run into them at Walmart. But that brought it home. What if they walked through there right now? And just then it, it dawned on me, I have to release them to God. Not from the indictment that happened, but I have to release them to God. Amen? Number three, ask yourself, is unforgiveness bringing you more peace or more hurt? Unforgivers, they hold on to things. And I can sense these people a mile away. These are the people that kind of have a volcano under the surface. If you've ever climbed any part of Mount Rainier, you'll know it's one of the eeriest hikes you ever have because there's lots of little vibrations that happen on that big a mountain. They're not serious. The volcano's not going to erupt. It would take something, you know, two, 3,000 times what those vibrations are to blow that cone off, and it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime. may not happen before Jesus comes back. But it's a reminder. Underneath that mountain is the force of a volcano that would level Seattle and Tacoma within 30 seconds. There are people who live like this. You just sense it. You're careful what you say around them. They kind of are easily offended. They can be kind of antisocial because they know they're a volcano and they don't want to explode on anybody. Oftentimes when you peel that back, that's not really who that person is. There is an issue of unforgiveness that has settled so much in their soul, they're used to it. They don't even see it. They probably don't even remember what the original infraction was. But now they're walking around like this volcano that could explode at any moment. I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're like, man, you're, this, Tom's kind of describing me a little bit, go home tonight and think, is there anybody you do not have forgiveness toward? Is there somebody you're harboring bitterness or resentment? Because ask yourself the question, does unforgiveness bring you more peace or more hurt? Even when you get back. This is what my dad told me. When I was freshman in high school, somebody beat me up pretty good. But in the eight or nine months that happened over freshman year, I bulked up and I told my dad, I'm going to go get revenge. I wasn't a believer. But I did. And I remember what my dad said. Now, I'm not proud of this, but what he said was good. He said, well, you'll be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. And I went, ooh. Because now 10th grade's going to come. He's going to get bigger. And he's going to go and say, I'm going to go back and get, and it, you know, it never ends. Do you see how it never ends? The get back, get back, get back, get back, get back. Now everybody's getting back all the time. That's why we have wars. More peace or more hurt? In my case, in ninth grade, more hurt. Hopefully now, being guided by the Father, 
Forgiveness is bringing me peace. Amen? And then finally, <laughs> amen. And then finally, number four, your life is not defined by what has been done to you, but is defined by what Christ has done for you. Jesus' final prayer for us when he was dying on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Man, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we don't often know what we're doing when we hurt people. Jesus is, well, they knew what they were doing. They were killing him. He said, Father, forgive them. Jesus is dying. They're mocking him. He's naked. He's been horrifically beaten, and he's got all the sins of the world upon his shoulders. If anybody has an excuse to be bitter and say, God, fry them, it's Jesus. But instead he says, Dad, forgive them. They don't, they don't know, Dad. They don't know. He chose forgiveness that day and became the sacrifice for the forgiveness of all our sins. More than any family history, any event of the past, or any event of the future, that event, that event, Jesus dying on the cross, defines us more than anything else. So now when people ask, well, who is Tom Nackey? Irish, British, Sicilian, Moroccan? I say, you know what I am? I'm a person forgiven at the cross of Jesus. That's what I am. Amen? Last Monday night, since I know none of you here like the 49ers, I invited Pastor Alex to come to my house because he told me he doesn't dislike the 49ers. So he got the invite that none of you all did. <laughs> and after the game, we were talking and right about, I don't know, an eighth of a mile from my house, just down the street, a huge car crash happened. Kaboom. I thought we were getting bombed. It was loud. This thing reverberated. So we looked at each other. We hop in his car, and we drive down there. And the, there's a, I don't know how this happened, but a little car hit a pickup truck, and the pickup truck was on its side. I always used to say, who's going to win the game of chicken, me or the little car? I'm going to rethink that now. You know, those little cars pack some punch. But the, the bad part is the family was still in the truck, and they couldn't get out, right? Because, I mean, think about it. There's, there's you know, we, it was really weird. I, I saw a human arm coming out on the street, the side of the truck. I, I, I don't know if the truck was crushing it or what, but. So we get there, and, you know, someone gets the bright idea, let's, let's bang out the windshield, and I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't know. We should bang out the windshield. This is these people's truck. You know, what, what if they want to get this truck fixed? And no. Eventually, I heard the firemen say they're going to total it, you know. And I thought about that, you know. That's exactly what God's going to do with us. These bodies we live in right now, they've been in an accident. And God's not going to fix it. He's totaling it out, and we're going to get a whole new body so that he can be our father in a way where in that new body we can go up to our heavenly dad and give him a hug 
and we will not die. If that's all I ever get from God, that's enough for me. Amen? Buy your heads, close your eyes, worship team, go forward. This morning, before we close, you know, we've been talking about the kingdom, talking about keys to the kingdom. But just kind of dawned on me midway, we have to make sure we're all in the kingdom. We have to make sure we're all a part of that family. So right now, I want to make an invitation. The invitation to become born again. But there's something I'm going to ask you to do first. Because I think this is crucial to becoming a follower of Jesus. Who in your life do you have to forgive right now? Forgiving, again, doesn't mean forgetting. Doesn't mean you're sweeping under the rug. Doesn't mean what you're, you're saying that what they did was no big deal. What you're saying is you're going to release the power of that vengeance to God and they will no longer have any power over you. Is there somebody, you don't have to say it, just in the quietness of your mind. I've got my eyes closed, my head bowed. Lord Jesus, all of these people you're bringing to our hearts, I pray that we would approach them with forgiveness, God. That we would now forgive them and lift them up to you. The whole kingdom family depends upon it. Let us not be that roaring volcano anymore. Cap that mountain. Dry up that lava. And let us just be a part of the beautiful landscape of God. For the rest of us, if you would like to be born again, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. I used to do it where you got to raise your hands, lift up your eyes, stand. You can do that after the service. Come up and say, you know, Pastor, I prayed that for the first time in my life. And I'll pray for you again. But for those of us who'd be like, you know what, I, I've forgiven somebody. I need to reaffirm my born-againness. I need to come and obey Jesus when he said you must be born again. Pray, pray this with me right now in Jesus. Say, say, Lord Jesus, I want to be born again, and I commit to forgive those who have wronged me. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me, save me, and let God, may God, become my Father and fill me with your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen? Can we give the Lord a shout of praise this morning? Come on. Come on.